Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm AJ Hogue. Welcome to the Effortless English Show. I am the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native. Join my VIP program this month and get a special discount on my pronunciation course. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. That's EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Okay, well, today we continue our book club. Today is Chapter 3 of Animal Farm. Chapter 3 of Animal Farm. As usual, first I will tell you the story of chapter 3, the summary, tell you the basic things, what happens, the basics. Then I will go back and I will discuss some of the meaning. And of course, when I'm discussing when I'm discussing the meaning, of course, I will be, you know, sharing my own ideas, right? I think some of them are very obvious. Some of the meaning very obvious, most people will agree, but some of my ideas, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. That's okay. I want you to think about it. That's the key thing. That's what these great books are for. You need to think. You need to think about things. Very important. These books make us think. All right, let's begin. Mm -hmm. Let's try it. Chapter three, let me just pull it up here on my computer. All right, chapter three. Mm -hmm. Chapter three of Animal Farm. How do we begin? Okay, the first part of chapter three. So remember what has already happened. The animals had their rebellion, their revolution. It was successful. Now they control Animal Farm. So how, in chapter 3, actually, most of chapter 3, it's a very happy time for the animals. Everything seems to be going very, very well for the animals. So, in the beginning it says, uh, they toiled, the animals toiled. To toil means to work really hard. So the animals worked and worked really hard. And... They, what were they doing? Remember, they were collecting the hay, the dried, the grasses that they eat, their food, the hay. So they worked really hard to collect, to harvest the hay. And they were successful. They were, all the animals worked together. But we see in chapter 3, that there's one little problem. What's the little problem? The pigs, it says, the pigs were so clever that they could get around any difficulty. So the pigs are, remember, they're, they have made themselves the leaders. They're the leaders. Because they're so clever, they're the smartest group, the smartest animals. And it says the pigs did not actually work. So we're beginning to see that everyone's not actually equal. Even though they say all animals are equal, we see again they're not actually equal. 
because it says all the animals worked to collect the hay. All the animals work on the farm. They're all working hard, but the problem is not the pigs. The pigs do not actually work. Instead, they were the supervisors. So the pigs tell all the animals what to do, how to do it. But the pigs don't actually do the work themselves. So already we've seen immediately the pigs are up here, they've become the bosses, everybody else is working. However, everybody's still happy here in chapter 3. Uh, the hardest workers were especially the horses, as usual. So the pigs would kind of shout out their instructions and all the other animals would work hard. It says, even the ducks and the hens, the, the hen, a hen is a female chicken, even they would work very hard, walking back and forth, carrying little pieces of hay. So all the animals, the little ones and the big ones, worked really hard, and they all helped. They were all working to get the hay, to, to work on the farm, to get the food, except the pigs who told them what to do. And it was successful. They got the biggest harvest. Remember, harvest is the food you get from a farm, that you collect from a farm when it's ready. It was the biggest ever. They got the most food they ever had gotten before. So very big success in chapter 3. So, so far, it seems the rebellion is quite successful. And it says they all worked hard through the summer. Very tough work, but also very successful work. So the great thing about their work is even though difficult, that they get a lot of food, they're all getting to eat very well. Because the worthless, parasitical human beings were gone. Because of that, there was plenty of food for everyone. So the humans were parasitical. There's a good word, parasitical. What does that mean? It comes from the word parasite. Parasite is the noun. What is a parasite? A parasite is it's some kind of uh, like animal, bug, worm inside of you, right? It lives off of you. It steals your food or it steals your blood, right? It doesn't help your body. So it's a kind of, in, in humans, right, it's a kind of disease. Dogs get, all animals get parasites, right? Usually they're inside our bodies. So if you eat some bad food and there's some, maybe these kind of worms in it, then they can grow inside your body and they, they eat your food or they suck your blood out. That's a parasite. So it's saying, when we use it in a general way, the humans are parasites. In a society, a parasite is, it's uh, someone who doesn't actually work, right? They don't they don't really work, but they just benefit from other people's work. That's a parasite in society. Right? They're not... So the, the, pig, the animals feel like the, the human farmer was a parasite. That the animals did the work, but the human got most of the food. So he was living from their work. He wasn't working himself. Now, we don't really know if that's true in this story because we don't really get to... Orwell, the writer, doesn't really tell us if the human... how much was the human actually working or not. We know that the humans were doing some work, but we're not really sure. But the animals at least felt like the humans were parasites. And when the humans were gone, now they get to keep all the food themselves. Every, all the work they did, they keep everything they produced. Right? He says it was truly their own food. 
produced by themselves for themselves. So they had ownership, right? They owned their own food. They did the work and they got the benefit, right? They got all of the benefit from their own work. No parasite taking some of it away from them. That's why they were so happy and successful. They also had more free time, more leisure time to relax. Then describes uh, Boxer. Remember Boxer's the biggest, strongest horse. He was the hardest worker. It says Boxer was the admiration of everybody. They all admired Boxer, right? They respected Boxer because Boxer was the hardest worker. He was so strong. He worked so hard. They really respected him because of his hard work. Every time they had a problem, Boxer said, I will work harder. I will work harder. So he was the hardest working. He worked harder than anyone else. Remember, Boxer truly, truly believed everything the pig said. Truly believed in the ideas of the animal revolution. So he's super motivated, super strong, and worked very hard. And I'd say, in a, in a way, I think clearly he's the most admirable, means he's the character that's easiest to love in the story so far, right? Because he has a good heart, Boxer does, the big horse. He has a good heart. He really cares about the other animals. He's not trying to benefit from the other animals. He's not trying to be their boss. He's not trying to control them. He really is working hard for others. Right? He really, really does care about the others. He, in his heart, he really does want to work hard and help everybody. But unfortunately, Boxer's not the leader. And as we will see, <laughs> Boxer's weak point is he trusts the leaders too much. He has a good heart, so he thinks that all the pigs have a good heart too. He thinks all the other animals all also have a good heart. He's so good He's so good that he doesn't realize that, and doesn't understand that there can be evil in others. And that uh, he's so honest, he doesn't understand that others can lie. So he trusts too much. That's Boxer's big weakness. But he's a very, very, very good horse, and they all love him a lot. At least most of the other animals do. So, again, he repeats that we see all the other animals working, doing their best. Eh, a few exceptions, though. <laughs> not actually all of them. Because we saw, number one, the pigs were the bosses, so they were not actually doing the hard work, just telling others what to do. We also see that Molly, the girl horse that likes the pretty ribbons, remember? She also was not good at getting up in the mornings, and she also would quit work early. So, Molly, she would do some work, but she was a little more lazy. She didn't quite work so hard like the others. And then there's another funny one, which is the cat, who doesn't work at all. So the cat, uh, whenever there would be work, whenever there's work, the cat disappears, right? So there's, it's time to work, and suddenly they look around, where's the cat? Nobody can find the cat, right? And then when it was time to eat, then suddenly the cat would show up again, right? So the cat would reappear at mealtimes. When the work was finished, suddenly the cat would be there. And it says, she, the cat's a she, always 
had excellent excuses. So the cat would always make some excuse. Oh, I had to do something else. Oh, I was busy. Oh, I would, right? Always would have a really good excuse about why she didn't work. And so everybody would believe her. Say, oh, well, she must be telling the truth. Then we learn about uh, Benjamin the donkey. Benjamin the donkey. He basically does not change at all. So he does work, but he doesn't work harder, and he also doesn't work less. He just, nothing changed. It says the donkey seemed unchanged. Benjamin the donkey seemed quite unchanged since the rebellion. The revolution, the rebellion. He did his work in the same slow way. The same as when the human, Mr. Jones, was the boss. He, he wasn't lazy, but he also didn't try to do extra work. He just did the, what was necessary and required, that's all. And when they asked him, they would ask Benjamin the donkey if he was happier now. They would say, oh, are you happier now? And he would not answer. He would just say, donkeys live a long time. None of you has ever seen a dead donkey. And the other animals don't understand his answer. So what's he saying? Basically, he's an old, Benjamin the donkey's old. So because he's an old, like an old man, right? He has a lot of life experience. And so he knows, right? He doesn't say it directly, but we can easily guess. The donkey, he knows not to trust this revolution. He knows not to trust these changes. The donkey kind of understands animal nature or human nature, because of course this story is really about human nature. The donkey kind of, he understands. So he's kind of the opposite of Boxer, the horse, right? He doesn't trust leaders in general. He, he knows not to trust what people say. He knows that, that People will always, some people will always be parasites. Some people will always lie, right? So he, he just keep, continues living his life. He doesn't get excited about the rebellion. It doesn't change him at all. He's not, he doesn't really believe that anything has changed that much. And as we'll see later in the story, Benjamin is probably one of the smarter or wiser uh, characters, because of course he turns out to be right. Actually, things get much, much worse for the animals. Worse than it was when the farmer was in charge. Okay, so after we hear about Benjamin, next we go to, um, there's a ceremony. It talks about on Sundays they don't work, so it's their break day. And on Sunday they have a ceremony every time. They lift up a flag. It's a green flag, and there's an animal. They put their footprint on it, and like a little horn symbol, and that's the Republic of the Animals, they call it. And they talk about how someday all humans everywhere will be overthrown. So they're not only wanting their own farm to be uh, to have a rebellion or a revolution. They also have the idea of a world revolution, right? And of course this has a direct connection to communism, which had the same ideas. 
And then they would have a meeting, a big meeting on Sundays. And during the meeting, the pigs would always be the leaders of the meeting. The pigs would always introduce new ideas, new rules, right? The other animals would vote, yes or no, but always the pigs would introduce the new ideas. No other animals could really think of new stuff. So remember the pigs here, they're like the intellectuals of society, right? And of course we have the two big pigs. They're really the two big bosses for the pigs, Snowball and Napoleon. They're the most active in the debates. So they would, they would bring up an idea, a plan, and then they would debate, right? They would have debates, arguments about the plans. And usually it was Snowball versus Napoleon. So now we're starting to see a power struggle for the leadership, right? Because right now there are two leaders. And we certainly know from history that this does not work, right? If in history, two leaders don't last long, two or more, right? We saw it in the Roman Empire. They tried to have three leaders a couple times in their history. And it did not last long. Very quickly, they all started fighting each other, right? Until there's one. <laughs> and so we're seeing the same problem now. Snowball and Napoleon, they're trying to share leadership, right? The, they say everybody's equal, but we know that's not true. Actually, the pigs are the, at the top. And even among the pigs, they're not all equal. There are two at the top. And it's Snowball and Napoleon. And <laughs> even they're not happy being equal, right? It's not a... It's not stable. So they're already starting to have argue with each other constantly. Each one is really trying to become the top pig. So they never agree with each other. And then at the end of the meeting, they all sing that song again, the Beasts of England song. Now, so far, that all sounds pretty happy. Even the disagreement with Snowball and Napoleon, it's just kind of debating it. In chapter 3, they're arguing, but th there's nothing terrible that's really happening. So it seems like, in general, things are much, much, much better for all the animals. And indeed, they are much better so far. But with the rest of the chapter, we start to see the beginnings of very terrible things that will come. So, again, we have this beginning. Everything seems wonderful, but already... Already the seeds or the beginnings of something very, very terrible and horrible, they're already there. And what is it? It's the pigs, right? So we see, first of all, the pigs <coughs> find a separate area only for themselves. It's the headquarters for the pigs, so it's their area only. So they're, again, they're becoming even more of the special group, the top group. They have their own little special area where only they can go, the headquarters. And they, what do they do in their headquarters? They read, they learn skills like carpentry, which is working with wood. And they read the farmer's books. So they, they're getting smarter and smarter. They're learning more and more and more. So their skill level and intelligence level is getting even higher than all the other animals. They're getting farther and farther and farther above the other animals in ability, in knowledge. Then it talks about the two leaders, and here we see the beginnings of some terrible stuff happening. It 
it's not obvious, but you'll see in later chapters why this is so bad. Snowball, he makes a lot of committees, okay? So he's always busy trying to make little... A committee is like a small group inside a bigger group. So you have all the animals have a meeting, but then you can make a small group with some animals to focus on one special problem. So that he, they have the egg committee, right? Where they, some animals try to figure out how can we make more eggs. And they have the Wild Comrades Re-Education Committee, which is kind of, again, this is some dark humor. So the purpose is for the, the Wild Comrades Re-Education Committee, the purpose is to try to tame the rats and the rabbits. What does that mean? It means the, the rats and the rabbits are wild animals, right? They don't follow rules. They do anything they want. And so the committee, this group, they're trying to change their nature, change the rats, change the rabbits, so they're not so wild, so they're kind of civilized animals instead of wild animals. And, anyway, and the main point is that all of these committees are a huge failure. They fail, he says, the attempt to tame the wild creatures broke down almost immediately. So in other words, these, all these committees, they all fail almost immediately. They continue to behave the same way as before. And even worse, and here we see one of the big, big, big problems of socialism particularly, is that some animals, when treated with generosity, when, when given things, when helped, they would just take advantage of it. What does that mean? It means they would become parasites themselves. So, for example, the cat would just sit around and do nothing, right? But they still would give the cat food. And the cat would also try to trick some of the animals. He says the cat would tell the birds that, hey, we're all equal, so please come closer. We can all be together now. We're all equal. But the, it's, but, so this is kind of a joke, right? The birds would stay away. So, of course, what was the cat trying to do? Get them closer so he could eat them. She could eat them. Right? And then we see, again, one of the major problems of socialism is that when you give things to people, when they don't have to work, when you're generous, you're trying to be good, maybe you're like Boxer, you have a good heart, you just want to give. But the problem is there are many, many people in the world who will just take and take and take and take. They will use you or use the government, or whoever's doing it, right? They become parasites. They don't give anything back, right? And this, this, indeed, this is one of the things, maybe the main thing, that finally destroys socialism. We're seeing it happen in Venezuela right now. But this is a common problem. And it's not just a problem for socialism, it's a problem even for, in individual lives. Even in your individual life, there are some people, you can give them some help, but other people, if you give them help, they'll just take it. But they won't be grateful. And then they'll just ask you for more, and they'll ask you for more, and they'll ask you for more. And if you don't say no, if you don't cut them off, they'll just continue using you forever. And even good people, if you give, give, give too much, and you never ask for something back, they, will, again, will start to use you. This is just a human nature, really.
All right, then another thing we see is that uh, they all tried to read. They made reading and writing classes. And at first, he says it's a big success, but then we learn more details. And we learn that, in fact, it's not a big success. And again, we see the inequality, the natural inequality, that the animals are not equal in intelligence. They're not equal in anything. Some are stronger and bigger, some are smaller and weaker, some are much smarter, and some are not. So we see that the dogs learn to read well. So the pigs are the smartest, they learn the best. They can already read and write perfectly. Next is the dogs. They learn to read quite well, but they don't read that much. Then there's the goat, who does learn to read pretty well. Benjamin is very smart, the donkey again, the old donkey. He can read very well, but he doesn't read very much also. He's just not interested, not very curious. But then after these animals, all the rest of the animals really are not successful. They don't really learn to read. So Boxer never learns to read. He only learns the first four letters, A, B, C, and D. That's all Boxer. He's got a great heart, but he's not so smart. Uh, and then Molly, Molly learns six letters. Just Molly only learns to spell her name, Molly the girl horse. And all the other animals, they only learn the letter A. <laughs> they only learn the first letter. They never really learn how to read. In fact, some of the animals are so stupid, they cannot remember the seven commandments. Remember the seven strong rules, commandments. But most of them could remember them, but some of them were too stupid. They could not remember seven. Seven was too many to remember. So, Snowball creates just one rule so that everybody can remember it. And the rule is four legs good, two legs bad. Four legs good, two legs bad. So, instead of seven commandments, that's too, much, too, too hard for some of the stupid animals, they just make one to make it super, super simple, even for the stupid ones. So at first, the birds, they didn't like that because they only have two legs. But then Snowball gives a long kind of intellectual answer that, oh, wings are actually like more like legs because you use them to move and to fly and kind of this complicated argument, intellectual. The birds don't understand his argument of why the wings are the same as legs, but they accept, they accept what he says. They just accept it. So everybody, now, now it's, there's only one rule on Animal Farm. Four legs good, two legs bad. And the sheep, <laughs> they just, they like to just walk around and they just repeat this phrase again and again and again and again. Four legs good, two legs bad. Four legs good, two legs bad. Now, finally, the end here, we see really the beginnings of, of the evil to come. Snowball, I mean, uh, Napoleon, rather, the other pig, who again, quite clearly represents Stalin. He's just interested in power, and he's, but he's smart and he's careful, so it's not obvious. It's still not obvious quite yet in chapter 3. I mean, we know, but the other animals don't 
realize what Napoleon's starting to do. They don't realize what's coming. They, we say they're too naive. Naive is kind of like innocent. They, uh, they don't, they trust him too much. So it says, Napoleon was not interested in the committees. He didn't really care about the philosophy. And as we will see later, Napoleon really doesn't care about all these wonderful ideas. He's really interested in power. What Napoleon realizes, and this is where we see that we see this happening again and again everywhere in the world now, and certainly in socialist countries, but I mean in the United States everywhere. And this is one of my personal big issues. He says that education of the young was most important. Napoleon says education of the young is the most important thing. All the other stuff is not important. Just remember, Napoleon wants power, and he realizes to get power. All he needs to do is to educate, to control the young people, the young animals in the story. Because he knows their minds are much more open. And if he, he can control the young people, he can easily make them think anything he wants. And then when they get older, he will, they will all follow and support him. He will then have power. So this is why education is such a powerful thing. And why I personally am so against the school systems. Because the school systems are used by the powerful to brainwash the young children. To feed them these ideas of socialism, for example, communism. And make them not trust their own families, not trust their own religions, not trust their or love their own countries. And instead, love the communist rulers or the socialist ideas. Right? So this is why these people in power, and we've seen this not only in socialism or communism, we see this uh, in the United States too, everywhere, where the powerful really want to control the young. They want to get those young children and start teaching them. They call it education, and they, they say they're doing it for these nice reasons, but the real thing they want is to put their ideas into those young kids to control them. Maybe to make them good communists, maybe to make them good followers, maybe to make them good obedient workers. But this is why they always want education in schools and school systems, and they always want to get those kids younger, younger, and younger. So what does Napoleon do? He finds some puppies. So two of the dogs have puppies. And what does he do? He, nine puppies. He takes the puppies himself. He says, I will raise them. He won't let the natural parents raise them. He wants to raise them. And see, this is what we see with public education. The governments, the state, the governments, they don't want the, the parents to educate, to teach their own children. They don't want the children to grow up learning from their parents. Now they want to take those kids young, as early as they can, and they can feed their ideas into them. They will teach them. So that the kids will grow up believing what the government wants, not what the parents want. So this is very clear what happens with all government education. And indeed all schools, even private. So what does he do? He keeps them in seclusion. He keeps them away. He keeps the puppies away from all the other animals. And he, just him only, he's the, he teaches them and starts raising them. Finally, we find out where did the milk go. They finds out they, 
the pigs, only the pigs are getting the milk. And at first, the other animals are very upset, but then the pigs, they have really good arguments about why they need all the milk. They say, we pigs, we're brain workers, right? We have to work with our brains. We need to be smart. And we're doing it for you, all of the other animals. We drink that milk. We eat the apples because they take all the apples and they take all the milk. Only them. The other animals don't get them. Get the, that good food. Why do the pigs need it all? They say, oh, we need the best food because we, we're the leaders. We need to be the leaders and think. So we need this so that we can help you more. It's, we're doing it for you. And then they use the technique of fear. They say, if we don't do it, Mr. Jones will come back, right? Oh, the big enemy, the big outside enemy. He'll come back. So you need us. You need us leaders. We, we've got to be strong and smart and healthy so we can protect you from the evil Mr. Jones, the evil farmer. So when the animals hear this, they think about that scary human farmer coming back they again trust the pigs. Okay, okay, yes. And they agree that the pigs should get the best food, the milk and the apples. And that is the end of chapter three. Let's go back and talk about the meaning. I want to talk about three levels of meaning here. All right, let's take a look. Three levels of meaning. Check my notes. <laughs> All right, so I think you know, for me, we, we can look at this. One of the things about great books, great literature, is that there are different layers, different levels of meaning. So there are often there's a, a very uh, obvious level, right? Where we can so in this book, for example, in Animal Farm, the most obvious level is political, right? This is a story about politics. It's uh, we can see the very strong connections to the history of communism, the communist revolution in the Soviet Union. And indeed, the, the writer, George Orwell, clearly said that was one of the main things he was talking about. So the political level is very obvious, and we've talked about that in chapter 1 and 2, and we'll talk about more in chapter 3. So that's one level. But you know, the great thing about these kind of books is we can also look at other levels and see, find different kinds of meaning. So another one, another level that I see in this a lot is um, it's sort of the level of, of nature, human nature. Of course, the pigs represent, well, not the pigs, all the animals represent different kinds of humans. So we can look at it just from a general, a more general thing of, of human society and human psychology and human nature. And I, I think there are a lot of uh, truthful messages about human nature in this story, in this book. And then finally, I also see what I would say is a religious level to this, and I'll discuss my ideas about that also. Now, you don't, now these are, 
my ideas, this, these are the, many of the meanings that I see, the surface one, the political one, I think is the most obvious and the one that most people agree on. The other two are deeper levels that I see. You may see these things or not. And it may be that you have some other ideas. I think you can also find, every person from their own experience can look and find things in this story that are meaningful, meaningful to you. So, and I encourage you to think about these things. So I offer my, some of my ideas, not, not to tell you what to think. You do not have to agree with me. Maybe some things you say, oh yes, AJ, I agree. And maybe some things you think, ah, I don't see that. That's fine. That's fine. I'm bringing, I'm telling you these ideas to encourage you to think, to just give you more to think about. And hopefully you'll ask questions and you'll, if you agree or you disagree, you'll kind of think about it and connect it to your own life and you'll find your own meaning in Animal Farm and in this chapter and in all the chapters. Let's go through and talk about it. I think, uh, let's, talk, let's go through the chapter quickly, just talking the obvious political level. So again, we see after a revolution, what often happens, any kind of revolution, is everyone's happy. Yay! We're free! We're free! Right? All revolutions. There's a lot of optimism and idealism, right? Oh, everything's wonderful now. Finally, all our problems are solved. Everything's perfect. <laughs> and indeed, everybody's happy and everyone is kind of, they've been working together. They win their victory. So it's a wonderful time. And this is usually the best time. But what we see <laughs> right in the beginning is that even at the, right at the beginning, there's no equality. The pigs are on top right from the beginning. And we see that everybody's working hard. Every, all the animals are working in the farm very hard to get the food. Except the pigs. The pigs do no work. They just tell everybody what to do. So already we can see that the idea is a lie. This equality idea is a lie. That eat. the pigs don't really believe it. Right? They don't really believe it. And in fact, what we see is that the farmer was a parasite. They got rid of him, but guess what? Immediately they have a new parasite, <laughs> right? Now the pigs are the parasites. Now the pigs are taking from all the other animals' work. And it's going to get worse, as we will see later. Another thing we see, and I think that Boxer shows, um, and, I, and especially at the kind of human nature level, is, uh, you know, for me, my personal opinion, I like Boxer the best so far. Uh, he's, he's honest, he's hardworking, he truly cares about the other animals. Unlike the pigs, Boxer really does believe, right? He, and I, I would say, you know, he's, he's almost saintly, right? He's, uh, he really has a good, good heart. He really cares about the other animals. He really wants them all to be happy. He really wants to help to end the suffering of others. So he's, he's really quite a, a good animal or person, right? But again, like I mentioned before, he's got this the weakness. And this is, again, if we look at human nature, this is true for individuals and groups. 
and it's, it's kind of a sad part of human nature, is that, um, and it's kind of a warning, I would say, to good people. There are many good people in the world who truly care about other people. I, I imagine that most of you watching <laughs> right now are like that. And that's a wonderful thing. It's fantastic. And we all admire that, right? We respect it. We admire it. We, we, we admire people like that. But we ha what we have seen, though, and what we must be careful, is that the problem with the, 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 the one weakness, and we're all, we all have a weakness or weaknesses, the weakness of Boxer is that he trusts too much. The problem of Boxer is because he's so good, he can't see evil in others. He can't see the evil in the pigs. Now, right now, none of the animals see it, right? But although they, they have a little idea. They're kind of complaining about the milk. But none of the animals quite see it yet. But Boxer doesn't see it at all. He's, he's naive, is again that word naive. He's too innocent. And I think one of the messages of this book that's not political, that's maybe a deeper, maybe even almost religious, is that um, it's not enough just to be good. It's not enough. Because if we're only good, we can also become victims, right? If we don't, we have to be good, but we also have to be wise, right? And strong. We need all of those together. Just one's not enough. Just goodness isn't enough. Why? Because if you're only good and you don't see evil, then you can become a victim of evil. You, you will trust. It's great to trust good people. To trust evil people is, a, is, is stupid and dangerous. Right? So I think that, that's a message I see with Boxer. I think that is one of his big messages. He, I really like him. I think all the other animals like him. But we're going to see this later. But, and we already can see some of it. You know, he's doing the most work. He's working harder than anyone else. While the pigs sit around and they're not working very hard at all. Already the pigs are kind of using him. Right? And this is again what, like we saw in other parts of the story. That if you give, 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 give and work, work, work for others, that's great. But you also have to be smart enough to see if do they deserve it. Do they really deserve it? Some people have a hard time, maybe they have something unlucky happen in their life, or they're poor, or whatever, and, but they work hard, and, and you help them a little bit, they're grateful, and they use your help to get better. So those people, yes, you want to help them, help them, certainly. But also in life, there are many people who are poor because they're lazy, or they cheat. You can't trust them, and if you help them, what will they do? They're just going to take from you and take. They'll ask me more. They'll lie to you. You should not help those people. Being good does not mean helping bad people be bad. I think that's another message we see, especially with... I think that's Boxer's message. Another one we see with this kind of nature, we see the cat. The cat's kind of lazy and selfish. That's the cat's nature. The cat's not evil, actually. The cat's not evil, but the cat... The cat doesn't believe in all this oh, help everybody idea. The cat's just a, is selfish. The cat wants to hunt and eat the uh, the birds 
and just be free. The cat doesn't care about their revolution and all this other stuff. But the cat will pretend to care <laughs> to avoid the work. <laughs> so I'd say the cat's not evil, but the cat's kind of tricky, right? The cat's kind of funny and tricky. And again, we see this. Anyone who has a job, who has a job, who works at a job with other people, you you have seen this, right? If you have a team at your job, there's always somebody who's kind of lazy. There's always somebody when it's time to do hard work, they disappear, and and then they come back when the work is almost done, right? And they still get their paycheck. They still get paid like everyone else, but they don't work very hard. They're kind of lazy. Right? This is just true. There are people like this in the world, <laughs> everywhere. It's, it's, it, again, it's, it's, it's the nature of humans or the nature of human groups. Right? In any group, you're going to find this. I always hated in school, for example, we would do group projects sometimes in a class. I hated it because I knew always, I'd get in a group, I knew always one or two people would be super lazy. Right? I knew there would always be problems. So. Some of the problems we see in Animal Farm, some of them are specific problems of socialism and communism, but I think a lot of them are more general. They're problems of any human group, right? Because in, things change when we have a group. You might have five individuals that are all hardworking, but if you put them in a group together, something changes. I don't know. We I don't know that we really know why, but something changes, and one might go be, is going to go, rise to the top and become the leader. Another one's going might be kind of lazy. Some of them are going to start fighting with each other. This all we have to do is look at human history or look at our own lives and see this is true. <laughs> Every time, there is no perfect society. There is no perfect human group, and there never will be. Certainly not in our lifetimes. And we're not perfect. Humans are not perfect, and therefore human groups cannot be perfect. So this idea of utopia, the perfect society, is impossible. And this really, um, for me, this gets to the religious... Another way we could look at this is as, at a religious level. Because indeed, this is, is in some ways a religious idea. Um, like, from the Christian perspective... Christians say, you know, talk about the fallen nature of man, of humankind, mankind. Fallen meaning imperfect, right? Fallen from God. So only God is perfect. And I'm going to use the word God here just because uh, it's the most common word in English. So some, might, some religions might say Allah, some might say Brahman, some might say Buddha, Buddha consciousness, Dharma, whatever. Okay, it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about a specific religion. But just the idea, um, like in Buddhists, would say that, that uh, human nature that is the truth of ignorance and suffering. That just by being human, just by being alive, we automatically will experience suffering. That we're not perfect. We're limited. I mean, every major religion has this basic truth. Even without religion, we can look at it just philosophically, as a general philosophy. We see humans are limited, right? Humans, individual humans. We're all limited. We all have our problems. We all are foolish sometimes. None of us can understand everything. It's impossible. 
And so the, the problem we see in Animal Farm with the animals, of course, he's talking about humans, really, is the animals trying to, if we look, think of it in a religious way, it's the animals are putting themselves above God. Only God is perfect. Right? And so, but they're trying to put their philosophy of animalism, communism, or themselves, the pigs, as the, as the perfect leaders. And when we do that, whenever we've seen this in history, whenever a person or a group or an idea tries to put itself above, right, above God, above the perfect, you know, as the ultimate, as the highest, when nothing else is higher, we're, this is the top, this is perfection, our society is perfect, we are the perfect masters. What happens is this always becomes evil. This always turns to terrible evil, and it always creates some kind of hell on earth. That's the religious message that I see in it. It doesn't matter which exact religion we're talking about. Another way to say this is power corrupts. Right? Uh, I can't remember, I think, was it Thomas Jefferson who said the, I don't know who originally said that, it's a famous quote, power corrupts absolute, meaning total, total power, absolute power, corrupts absolutely, corrupts totally. So the idea being that if, if you have too much power, meaning control over other people, you will become corrupted. It, it, it starts to create some kind of evil inside of you. And the more control you have over others, the more evil and it, it corrupts you, the more it changes you and makes you more and more evil. And the reason is, if you think of it religiously, the reason is because you're trying to set yourself up. It's like a false god. You're trying to set yourself up as a god. The, the pigs are setting themselves up, especially Napoleon, we will see. He's trying to set himself up as a god. They're trying to set up the idea of animalism as, as, as a god, as perfection. And so, this, again, it goes against reality. Because humans are not perfect. Nothing made by humans can be perfect. And by our very nature, right, by our very nature, we have imperfections, we have uh, negative desires, we have selfishness. By the very nature, we see in the animals and the humans, there's, there is greed, there is evil, there is selfishness, all these things, laziness. So, you know, much of life, trying to become a good person, is fighting against these things and changing these things, and controlling these things inside yourself. Uh, but they're always there, right? They're always there. There's no individual per person who is completely perfect without any of these, and therefore there, can, there cannot be a group or a society without these. <laughs> In fact, the groups usually make these things come out even stronger. And so any, any system that that has the idea of perfection, we should always be careful because it's, it will always turn to something that's actually terrible. And I, that's one of the deeper meanings I see in this story that's more general is, is exactly that. The pigs, are, the pigs and the animals, but especially the pigs, are claiming this perfect society, that they are the perfect leaders, that this is the perfect system, that everything's wonderful, and instead they create hell. And it becomes horrible. And as we will see in the story later, it becomes much, much, much worse than the farmer, than the human farmer. That this, 
this all turns into something very terrible. All right, let's go to Facebook and I'll answer some questions and comments. So those are my comments. Again, you don't have to agree with me. Uh, I'm not asking you to agree with me. I just asking you to think. And one of the great things about these books is we can think about them and they have some great ideas and diff all different levels. So if you have, um, if you have some ideas, please share them in the comments uh, if you're watching live. So let's go now to some of these and let's see some of these ideas. And also Twitter, you can do this on Facebook right now live or Twitter, either one. Okay, let's take a look. Uh, VIP program is awesome, I love it. Thank you, Giacomo, thank you very much. Okay, Rasmus says, who says children have to become uh, follow their parents? Uh, they can reject their parents. Well, of course they can. I think that, again, naturally, <laughs> if we look at all of nature and human, I always trust uh, the uh, human tradition and heritage and wisdom of thousands and thousands of years more than I trust some new idea that is, you know, 100 years old. So I think that clearly young children Young children absolutely need guidance and leadership. Have to do it, and it's the parent's job. I mean, just biologically, it's the parent's job. Um, no one else can do a better job. And why? Because parents love their children. Governments don't love children, their children. Strangers don't love their children. So, you know, are there bad parents? Absolutely there are, but uh, I can tell you, as, as a social worker, I used to work with parents. Uh, and with kids from very bad families, but even bad, except in ex very few cases, but even most bad parents, bad parents, um, were far, far better than, you know, government workers, because at least the bad parents still love their children. <laughs> they were, they maybe did not a very, you know, not very great job, but still they love their children. Now, of course, uh, as all parents know, eventually you're, your kids get older, and as they get older, you know, one of your jobs as a parent is to get them out into the world to think independently, and therefore they're going to disagree with you sometimes. They become their own, their own people, and that, of course, absolutely is a good thing and necessary, right? And that, and that's also true for animals. We see it in nature, right? Different species, it depends, but uh, we see it with monkeys, we see it with dogs, right? When they're very small and helpless, of course, they have to be led and controlled and taught by the parents, but then they're pushed. And with some animals, they're pushed very quickly to become independent. Humans, we, I believe, I'm not a zoologist, but I believe humans have the longest or one of the longest periods of uh, childhood where their children are basically helpless uh, without the parents. But it's a good point. It's a good point that absolutely that even as parents we don't want to just be we don't want to be like this either because as parents we're also not perfect, right? So you have to you, you need that's another message actually. Great, you may see this is what happens when we have questions and comments and we think more deeply and it brings up another idea, uh, another meaning I find in this story, uh, not directly but it's something that makes me think about which is humility, humility. 
right? Uh, it's sort of the opposite of this idea of, you know, putting yourself above God or putting yourself as perfect. It's quite the opposite. It's, it's really understanding and appreciating your weaknesses and limits and therefore being humble <laughs> and not like, I am the greatest, and I am the boss, and you must follow me. But the opposite of realizing, oh, I'll do my best, but I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not good, I'll try, but I, and I'm sorry when I make mistakes. And you, when you make mistakes, you, you, you say it, and you apologize, and you try to, to, to do a better job. And you're always trying to become a better person. You're working to be a better person. That's humility. Right? And so, parents need humility, too. Because, uh, you know, we will try, try, try to do our best, but we're also going to make mistakes. And, and I, I see that's one of the things I see in this, in Animal Farm, uh, with the pigs especially, is they have no humility at all. Right? They claim perfection. They claim they know everything. They, and they, they never admit a mistake. They blame, blame, blame everybody else. There's no humility. That's a good sign, by the way. In general, with humans, <laughs> in your life, if you see someone who has no humility, who never admits a mistake, never apologizes, don't trust them. Be careful with those kind of people. Confidence is great. Of course we want to be confident. Absolutely. But confidence can go with humility. And I think it's best when they're together. We need them both, right? This is the idea in general, and it's not, there's not just one answer. We, we need, like, we need, we need love and kindness, but we also have to be smart, and we have to realize that being, giving to other, some people is not actually good. We want to be good, but we have to also be wise. So, right, we, we, we often have to have these things that, that, that are, they, they're not really opposites, but they're complements that they go together. So, and that's one of them. We want to be confident and strong, but we also must be humble and realize our own limitations. And I, I definitely see that as a kind of an under meaning <laughs> of the story. And it's, and it is hard sometimes to do both, right? It's, it's, it's hard to know when do I do this one? When do, when do I need to be strong? When do I need to be soft and kind? But this is a challenge of life. Life's not easy sometimes, and this is one reason why. Because many times the answer is not obvious. <laughs> many times we don't know. And we have to do our best. Ah, Ravna says, I believe that some people can become perfect trying very hard. Um, yes, I see what you're saying. Um, Right, but those people are called saints, or prophets, or Buddhas, right? It depends on the religion, and they, uh, th th these are the people we look, these are the people who, who create religions, right? Buddha, Jesus, uh, Muhammad, Krishna, Rama, etc., right? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, it, it requires, a, an amazing, uh, effort and power and but you're right uh, some some do believe but what, what one thing we notice about those people is they don't they don't you know that they they they're 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 trying to perfect themselves in goodness right not re leading revolutions and I see this as one of the other messages of animal farm is that 
uh, Gandhi is a good example. I, I, uh, Gandhi never said he was perfect, and Gandhi was not perfect. But in terms of being a leader, uh, I think he's a great example because he, he, he was this incredible leader, but without force. Without force. Right? Gandhi did not arrest anybody. Gandhi did not hit anybody or beat anybody. Gandhi did not directly control anybody. Where did Gandhi's influence come from? It came from his goodness, right? He focused on himself and making himself a better and kinder person, a wiser person. And people saw that in him, Indians, people, and, and well, not just Indian people, people all over the world saw that in him. And he gained tremendous influence because of that. But he never, he, he was never like Napoleon, like we'll see in this book, or, you know, like Stalin in the real world. He never used force or power or violence against anyone. So I think that Robnet, uh, is it Robneet? Yeah, Robneet uh, makes a good point. That's, that's the point I understand and what I think of when... Uh, that these people, they, they, they gain that power by going inward. They, they focused it on themselves, not, out, not outward on control, right? Was, there was no control involved. Influence, yes, of course. This is the difference between what I would call positive leadership and control. Control comes from force. You make people do things. If they don't like it, then you use force. Now, so far in the story, Animal Farm, that's not happening, but it will. We'll see it. <laughs> it gets quite bad. All right, let's see. Mm-hmm, lots of comments. I'm gonna go to Twitter too. Just, just, uh, uh, people saying they can hear me, good, and... Thank you very much. You're a really effective teacher. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Very nice novel with lots of morals. Yes, I think so. That's one reason I chose it. It's, uh... And again, like, you know, on one level, it's about animals and it's a funny story. Although, <laughs> so far it's funny. It's not so funny later. But, um... But then, of course, there's a deeper level where it's very political, and then a deeper level where it's moral or social, and then you could even, see, like I see, even a deeper level that, than that, which is religious even. And this is why different books can have different meanings for everybody, right? Because we, we're bringing our own ideas, our own life experience, and connecting it to the book. And as I said in the, when we did chapter one, what's really great about this is you can read the same book later and find new meaning. And I do this with many of my favorite books. I'll read it. Maybe I read it five years ago and I found some meaning, something important for me in my life. And then I read it again now, five years later, and I find a completely different level. Like now, some of the things I'm talking about with Animal Farm, when I read this book long ago, when I was much younger, I didn't see any religious ideas. I only saw the political. When I, many years ago. That's the only part that I saw, really. The very obvious political. 
So that's what's it's really great. As you gain more life experience, as you think more about it, you can find more and more and more from these great books. I think that's what makes them great and why certain books have so much power for so many years. And we can look at some books that are very old. For example, in my VIP program this month, I talk about the Iliad. The Iliad, the ancient Greek story. That's thousands of years old. And yet, even now, today, I just read the Iliad recently, last month. Incredible. Isn't that amazing that a story written 3,000 years ago in a society and about a society so different than modern American or modern anywhere, and yet still has so much meaning and power. That, that's why the Iliad is a great book. <laughs> okay? Because over generations and generations and generations in countries and cultures all around the world, people, many people, have found deep, deep meaning from that story, from that book. That's why it's a great book. Where, whereas, say, say Stephen King, who's a good writer and he tells good stories, but 500 years from now, will people still find deep meaning in the Stephen King book? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. My guess is probably not like the Iliad. <laughs> probably not like Animal Farm, even. Mm -hmm. People saying good morning. Good morning. Are you letting your beard grow? Yeah, I'm kind of letting my beard grow. So personal question. Just uh, winter. So a lot. Sometimes in winter I get, I don't know, lazy or cold, <laughs> and I let my beard grow. In the summer when it gets hot, I'll probably shave it. No. But for now. Good morning from sunny Greece. Speaking of Greece. Hello to you. So, you know, the Iliad, anyway, the, I don't want to talk too much about the Iliad, but it's another great book. Maybe if, you, if you're a VIP member, check, your, uh, uh, check the courses site now. Download your lessons because I talk about the Iliad. And I'm even much more excited about the Iliad than Animal Farm. Love the Iliad. Loved it. Here's a suggestion, and I agree, fantastic suggestion. You should do Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto. Great book. Yes, I know. One of my favorite books about education. So, Martin, thank you for your suggestion. I'm happy to see a fan of John Taylor Gatto's. If you're interested in education, anyone, get any of his books. Dumbing Us Down is a great one. John Taylor Gatto, fantastic teacher who... He's like, I was going to say he's like Boxer in the story, but that's not true because he's, he's smarter. <laughs> but he's like Boxer in that he really, really cares about kids and education. And has there are a lot of great truths about education and learning in that book, Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto. Highly recommend that book. Or any of his other books. Good morning from Austria. So lots of Europeans. Hello, hello. Mm, Bosnia, Herzegovina. Why, why are people gaining uh, Vongli? Sorry about the pronunciation. Um, why are people gaining power when they're supposed to expand that power? 
bigger and bigger. So this is, you know, I had an interesting uh, conversation on Twitter. Um, so, you know, sometimes we may, may ask, I was asked, you know, um, some of these problems that George Orwell is pointing out in Animal Farm, showing us in Animal Farm. And then, you know, what is the solution, we ask? What is the solution to this? You know, for example, that there are always people, there is inequality. Some are much smarter, some are not. Some are evil, some are good, really good liars. Some really want power and some don't. What's the solution to this? That's a hard question. And the truth is, there's not an easy one. How do we know? Well, we can look at all of human history and we see there's no easy answer to these questions. That's why I think another message of Animal Farm, beware the easy, easy answers. Right? These simplest, the simple answer of, oh, socialism will solve all our problems and create this great society. Or, if the American version, democracy will solve all our problems and create the perfect society, right? Or it doesn't matter what it is. But it's just not true, again, because of, of the basics of human and group nature. Like one of the things we see with the pigs, like they, they have their rebellion. It's perfect. It's, they're all seem to, like everyone's unified. And yet what happens immediately? Already we're starting to see division. Already we're starting to see Snowball and Napoleon start fighting. There's another great quote. I want to actually read this because it's from another great book I'm reading now. A Chinese book. It's, it's one of my the favorite beginnings of any book I've ever read. It's just fabulous. It's called The Three Kingdoms. Any Chinese person knows this book. It's, it's a famous, famous, famous book. Let me just read you the first chapter because it's just fantastic, this line. And it really describes what's happening in animal form. We can see it. Here's the, here's the beginning. Unity succeeds division. And division follows unity. One is bound to be replaced by the other after a long span of time. Alright, I'll, I'll say that again using simple English. So basically what this is saying, the, the Three Kingdoms book, this is a very old book. It's a classic of Chinese literature. And what the writer's saying is that uh, in human history, in human society in general, unity, meaning everyone's together, everything's together, yay, we're all together, is always followed by division, meaning breaking up, conflict, fighting. The groups break up and are against each other. And then this division and breaking up is then, after that, followed by, again, unity, right? So, isn't this history, right? So, we, we see there's a bunch of different groups. Let's say, right, there's the, the, the Latins and the, the Romans and the Greeks and, and then, if we're talking about the Roman Empire, and then the Romans spread out. So, there's division, all this division. Carthage, Rome, then there are wars, fighting, lots of fighting. What happens? Then the Romans conquer all these lands, right? And we get unity. We get this one big Roman Empire, the unity of the Roman Empire. But does it last forever? Of course not. So I mentioned before, right, just before the Roman Empire, they had, there were three rulers, 
this happened a couple times with Rome, but they had, you know, Augustus, um, Mark Antony, and, oh, who was the other one? Help me. I can't remember the other guy's name. Anyway, they had the three rulers, right? Was, there's no way this, it was not stable. What immediately happened? They all started fighting each other, and of course, in the end, um, Augustus won, and he became the emperor. Then we had the Roman Empire. It was unity, togetherness. But then, of course, <laughs> very quickly, groups started fighting. And then over time, the Roman Empire broke up into little pieces. Right? So we see this coming together and this breaking apart. This coming together and this breaking apart. One naturally follows the other. This is sort of human nature, uh, group nature, society nature. We see it with the animals. So they've come together for this rebellion, for this revolution, which is great, but already, immediately, we see the beginnings of division. Snowball and Napoleon already starting to argue with each other and wanting to become the top leader. We see that two leaders or more than one leader doesn't work because there's, we're hierarchical <laughs> uh, people, species, right? So we always want to sort out one's above, one's below, one's below, one's below. It's very rare to find human groups where there's more than one leader, more than one at the top, that is stable. Almost always, we saw it with the Romans as a great example, they will quickly start to fight until one comes on top. And we will see later between Snowball and Napoleon that this is already starting to happen and it will be, get worse. So it's a great quote and so this is why when we try to think of solutions, it's, it's very tough because Part of this is sort of a, seems to be some kind of natural historical cycle or psychological or sociological. So I think we can try to work with that nature and find things that work better. But when we try to control it totally with these imaginary perfect worlds, that's when really terrible things usually happen. So another possible meaning or idea. Welcome back with New Hairstyle. Thank you very much. Uh, Sawadi from Thailand, thank you. Hello from Malaysia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the art of war, yes indeed, right? Mm -hmm. Animal Farm Animal Farm is a history that learned for learning English usually. Yes, good, good, good. AJ, do you believe in a better world? A better world. Hmm. A better world, I'm not uh, I guess you mean like a better society. Uh, yes and no. Yes. I mean, I think, I think improvement is always possible for sure. But I just think that, um, uh, I think, well, I think the religious leaders had it right. They have the right idea, I believe. Uh, and I would include, say, Gandhi as a good example being a very religious person who was political. And when I say they had the right idea, I mean they start with the individual, right? Because our groups, our societies are made of individuals. So if the individuals are good and honest and working hard and they focus on themselves to be better people, good people, if you have most people in your society, in your country, are good and honest and hardworking and all of those things, then the country will be <laughs> good and honest and hardworking, it will tend to be. 
But if instead we try to blame and control other people, like we're going to make them better instead of focusing on ourselves being better, that's when we see so much horrible stuff happen in the world. And sadly, that's the normal thing. Most people want to blame. You know, I can look at, I'll just talk about my own country, since I, it's not fair for me to judge other countries, really, so I'll judge my own country. When I look at America, I see that, um, I think that America was best uh, when it first started as a, as a republic that the citizens, at least, not counting the people who are not citizens, the slaves, that was terrible. Um, but the other citizens, you know, they, they, were, they were very independent and strong. They were quite religious. They were good, honest people. They were uh, mostly farmers. And you then had a better society and more unity. And then now we have a lot of parasites in our society at the top and the bottom. <laughs> right? So there are parasites at the bottom, kind of what he was talking about, people who don't work, they just take stuff all the time. But then there are also the parasites at the top, like the farmer, right? Maybe we would call the, the, the big banks, so a lot of people would say in the United States, where they're not really doing work, they're, they're, they're taking a lot from everybody else who's doing the real work. And so when you start getting more and more and more of these kind of parasites in your country and people who lie and take, and then the whole society starts to get worse. And the other thing I would, I would say with the animal farm you can see is that if the leaders of the revolution of the country or whatever, if they are greedy and can't be trusted and they're liars and they're lazy, or they're just uh, cruel, then whatever system they create will also be that. And so this is the problem, I think, with when people talk about a, dis a certain system, like this ism or that ism. Is the problem is that if, if the people are bad, none of those will work. And that's why people say, oh, it wasn't real communism. It, it wasn't real socialism. It wasn't real capitalism. Well, it's just because because they're saying that the, the people didn't do it right. But the problem is, if the people are not good, the system is, all, is not going to be good also, right? So we, I think that this is why so many of the religious traditions in the world have focused on, first, you must become good yourself, and you must be humble and realize there is something above humans. That's my best idea about that question. Good question. Very good. Hmm. I'm in the Ukraine. We have no animal farm in our school system. How could to include it in the school program? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Be careful. <laughs> um, I think it's best. I mean, honestly, I don't think we need this is why I don't like school so much. Because I think we can do this ourselves. Why do we need a school to do it? Just The book is easy to find online. Uh, just read it, share it with other people, encourage other people to read it if you like it. Um, we can just do this ourselves. We don't need the government to do it for us. I don't want the government choosing my books. Or my children's books. Or your children's books. Um, so this is, I think, this is why I love independent learning. And for kids that 
definitely is led by the parents. Uh, but as adults, it's led by us. We're the boss. So, you know, it doesn't matter. So my point is it doesn't matter. There, you know, in the United States, there's some books they try to, in schools, they won't let the kids read. So read them outside of school. And I would say if your government or your school says, oh, you can't read this, you can't read that, well, read it yourself anyway. Just read it outside of school. <clears throat> oh, lots of questions. Oh, yeah, yeah. I tried to catch up here. Okay. So questions, deeper questions about religion. Um, lots of questions. Yikes. That's a lot of questions. Uh, I just have to pick one. I can't do all these. I can't, I don't want to get too deep into this being a religion discussion since we're supposed to be talking about Animal Farm, but, um, uh, uh, which one? Do, yeah, what would be like that? I don't know. Um, do people choose their religion or do parents choose it? Uh, well, I think for kids, obviously, they tend to follow the parents, so I think it's good, to, you know, whatever, and there's no problem with, parents need to teach their kids. So I think uh, one problem I see in the modern world is parents, like, trying to trust the government. I mean, who else is going to teach? If, if the parents don't do it, then who will? The government? Some government? A stranger? A government employee? No, I'm not saying they're evil, but... They clearly don't care as much as you do about your own children. I promise you they don't. Okay, I worked in schools. They don't. They may like your kids. They may be good people. Most of them are good people. But they're employees. In the end, it's a job for them. Whereas your, your children, hopefully, are something much more important to you than just a job. So you, you need to be confident about teaching your kids. Teach them what you believe. Teach them what you value. Teach them what you think is important. That's your job. And teach them how to think. Teach them to read, to explore, to question ideas. And yes, so, so certainly if you're religious, teach them your religion. When they become adults, they're going to make their own decision. They'll make their own decisions when they're adults. Of course they will. Um, you try to teach them what's important, but they're not always going to agree with you. That's fine, but they need some guidance, okay? A five-year-old cannot make these decisions themselves. They can't. A five-year-old cannot survive. If you stick them in the woods, if you stick them out by themselves, they will die. So they need your teaching. They need your guidance. So, you know, let your love and your wisdom guide you and do your best. That's what I would say to parents. Be confident. They need you to be confident and strong and do your best. You will make mistakes, of course you will. But your mistakes will still be better than a, some stranger in a school or somewhere else. So trust yourself. This is the same thing I say to adults about your own education. Trust yourself. You have to trust yourself. So when you're, people ask, oh, what should I do? How should I learn? Uh, should I go to a school? Should I have a teacher teach me? Trust yourself, okay? You can do it. You can do it. Trust yourself to choose what's important to you. Trust yourself to make decisions. Most of all, trust yourself to survive mistakes and learn from them. That's the big one. You will make mistakes. You will fail. I promise you. If you're trying to be a business person, you're going to fail and make mistakes. You will. But trust yourself 
to learn from those mistakes and then later to succeed. Because you can, you will, right? Don't, you can do it. You don't need to wait for other people to tell you what to do. I use business as an example because it's a very clear example, right? It's clear. You make money or you don't make money. And I have so many people ask me about business, what should I do? And they don't trust themselves. They're afraid to just do it. And I always say the same thing, trust yourself and do it. You learn by doing, you will make mistakes. Be careful, don't throw away all your money, but do it. And I say the same as with parenting, the same with your personal independent learning. Anything in your life, you got it. In the end, it's your life, so you have to trust yourself. It's your family, you have to trust yourself and do your best. Just keep learning and growing, and I promise you, you will get better and better and better. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. And trust yourself more than you trust me, for sure. You know, I'm doing my best for you and offering all this uh, for you, but you're the boss of your life. In the end, you are. Okay, trust yourself is the key. Some deep things with religion. More money is more important than religion, and shopping malls more popular than places of worship. What do you think about this? Uh, so again, from Urkan, uh, well, I think it's terrible. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I think it's terrible. But this is the age we live in, right? We live in the age of of uh, things and money and. Uh, hmm. But I don't like to tell other people what to do. I prefer just to ask questions and let people think about it themselves. I think there are a whole lot of people in the world who do realize there's something missing. And even as a, as a, as a business person, I can tell you <laughs> that eventually, you know, more money will not make you happy. Yeah, if, you're, if you really, some money will definitely help. Okay, <laughs> for sure. Uh, if, if, I mean, I was really poor and having more money has definitely helped. I'm more independent now. But, like, do I need to be a billionaire? No. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, there are lots of, you know, studies and surveys and interviews with people that, you know, at a certain point, it just doesn't, doesn't make you any more happy at all. So, ra rather than give a direct answer, I don't want to tell anyone what to do and claim I have the super answer, because I don't. But I will say this, read old books. I trust the, I trust the long, long, long tradition of humanity and wisdom more than I trust the new ideas. And this is an idea I got from, uh, uh, what's his name? I don't know. Uh, I just read a book from his. Let me look it up in my Kindle real quick. Where are you? Uh, Skin in the Game. Nicholas. Is it Taleb? Taleb? Mm, yeah, Nicholas Taleb, I believe, is his name. Skin in the Game is uh, the book of his I just read. He also wrote the book Anti-Fragile, which is also excellent. He talks about this, and he's basically talking about, like, how do you know? Like, so there's millions and millions and millions of books, for example, right? Millions and millions of books that, that published, you know, from the beginning of writing until now. And now, in our modern time, <laughs> so many, every year, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of books, I can't remember the number, but huge numbers. You can't read them all. 
absolute there's no way it's it's absolutely impossible to read them all how to decide which ones are the most useful which ones are the best how 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 could you choose like how do you make that decision what's a good rule to follow well he gives the advice that read the oldest books read the old ones why he's like because those are the most tested they have been tested by human history and found by humans through all of history through hundreds of years thousands of years they've been found to be useful and meaningful in all different time periods in all different countries all different situations people find meaning and good ideas and useful ideas from those old books they've been tested and tested and tested by hard times and long long history so those books we know probably have a lot of great ideas and meaning and wisdom a new book a book that is published this year it's harder to know is it really meaningful and deep or is it just fashion just something that seems cool and interesting now but is not really deep that next year we won't even remember it right it's hard to know for a new book but the that's why i more and more i like reading the old books the old religious books for sure but also just old classic literature animal farm is not so old but it's old enough <laughs> i think it's what uh i don't know i can't remember the publishing date on it but um it's it's certainly a modern book but at least it's been around for decades and is that has some power but this is why I think a book like the Iliad is actually much more powerful and deep than Animal Farm. I like Animal Farm. I do. It's, it's why we're reading it. But I, you know, if I had to compare, <laughs> I would say the Iliad far more. The Odyssey, another Greek classic, far more. The Aeneid, right? The the old Roman one. Uh, you know, Aristotle. Plato, I'm talking about the West. In the East, the Three Kingdoms of China, the Tao Te Ching. You know, these very, very old books, and of course the, the, the old books of each religion. There's a reason that, you know, if, if you just think about it, you know, rationally, there's a reason these books have been valued for so long. So they're worth thinking about. They're worth exploring and reading, for sure. So that's where I would say, if, you, if you're limited time, what should I read? Uh, if you just want entertainment, then choose anything. It doesn't matter. Just entertainment doesn't matter. But if you're looking for meaning and you want philosophy, the meaning of life, useful, deep ideas about human nature, the problems of life, then I would recommend older books. All right, I think it's almost time to go. Uh, Martin has a great comment that I agree with, and this will be the last comment. Animal Farm scares me because this book shows how easily people can be manipulated. Even when bad things start to happen, people can still be manipulated quite easily. Hitler proved it. Yes, indeed. He started World War II and then he convinced Germany that they needed a war. Sadly, most people followed him. People still were on his side. 
I don't want to say the German people were stupid at the time, but they were easily manipulated, quite easily. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> this is why, um, Martin, this is why we're not reading 1984, because um, Orwell's other most famous book. Because for me, 1984 scares me even more, <laughs> okay? Um, but you're absolutely right. I feel the same when I, about Animal Farm. And of course, we can look at the 20th century and see some terrible examples. Uh, Stalin, Hitler, etc. But we, it's happening today. I can look at my own country and see it. I, I've seen it for the last, my whole life growing up in my country since as an adult. The way the media, they call it fake news now, but the media is constantly manipulating. There's this propaganda all the time. It's in all our countries. It's we're constantly being manipulated in this way. This is one of the values of Animal Farm now. It's why it's still important, I think. He's showing the techniques, some of the techniques. Now, the, another reason, I, another great book is Brave New World, Aldous Huxley, that shows other techniques that are used to manipulate people. I'd say that... Um, Animal Farm shows what might be called the left-wing techniques, socialist, communist techniques to manipulate and control people. Animal Farm shows what might be called the democratic ways, the ways that modern democracies use to manipulate and control people. It's just as scary, that book. Okay, so I'm, I'm, it's also very scary. <laughs> but I agree with uh, Martin. It is terrifying because um, I, I think the problem is that now with modern technology, we see that the control is so much more dangerous and, and, and powerful. And we saw that's why I think the 20th century was so horrible, why we saw so many millions of people murdered in country after country in the 20th century. Uh, it's because of the, the modern ability of, you know, uh, of first the printing press and then and the radio and then these, and then of course television and video really, really, really has done it. And scary, frightening. Now I'm hopeful, one, one hope, small hope I have is that the internet allows us individuals to share these ideas and so we can kind of break some of that power that the people at the top have because it is frightening I agree it's frightening because you're right and it's not like you mentioned Germany as an example they were not stupid the Germans were not stupid people the Russians were not stupid I don't think the Venezuelans were stupid Although, you begin to wonder when history shows again and again and again it doesn't work, and then people still try to do it one more time, there's a little bit of stupidity involved, honestly. But, um, uh, but still, these manipulation techniques are, are powerful, right? Again, it's, what's frightening is that some very smart people have figured out how to use our human nature against us. It's another thing we can find in Animal Farm, and that is frightening. And it's, uh, again, why we have to really be careful of, uh, because we are being manipulated, right? Meaning, kind of, they're trying to brainwash, control us with this propaganda all the time. 
in the I mean now I, I don't even watch the main like any big large television news I don't watch it I refuse to watch it I don't care if it's you know liberal left or conservative right it doesn't matter I don't trust it because they're using many of these techniques that we see in Animal Farm or that Aldous Huxley describes in Brave New World another excellent book Okay, well, whew, lots of deep meaning, lots of stuff to think about. We could talk f hours and hours and hours about these ideas. They're very deep. I don't have the answers to all this stuff, personally. I have, you know, I'll give you some of my opinions. And many of these things I just don't know myself. I don't know. They're big, difficult questions. Some of these questions and problems are problems for humans, for hundreds or even thousands of years that we've been trying to think about and solve. So don't feel bad if you don't see an obvious easy answer because they, there is no obvious easy answer. If there were obvious easy answers to these problems, they would be solved already. We'd have the perfect world, but we're not perfect, so therefore there just isn't the clear, obvious, simple answer to these things. That's what makes them tough. Yet another, perhaps, deep message of Animal Farm. All right. So, next week, chapter four. Read chapter four of Animal Farm. The story is going to get more exciting and uh, a little more scary, too. Okay. So, chapter four next week. Thank you for joining me. Lots of love to you. I hope you are enjoying this book club. I hope you are enjoying these book club lessons. I will see you next time. As always, join my VIP program. You can try it for just one dollar. EffortlessEnglishClub.com. That's at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. See you next time.